Welcome to Real Review. My name is Zoe, and this episode is a bit different than the normal reels. I'm not reviewing a new movie in theaters this time. I took a trip down memory lane with my husband Sam to unpack probably one of the best animated trilogies ever made. And we had such a great conversation about the characters and themes in the movies that this is split into two parts. So if you enjoyed part one, please stay tuned for part two. And if you liked this look back on an older movie, be sure to let me know what movies you'd like me to review, and of course, the new upcoming releases. Now let's start the show. Joined with me here today is my amazing husband. And in honor of his birthday week, which is when this podcast is being released, I asked him, hey, do you want to be on the podcast? And what should we talk about? Like, what is a movie that you would like to go in depth with? And you said... How to Train Your Dragon. And I was like, why? (laughs) I'm being honest. But then you and I had a conversation about it. And I realized this opens the door for very interesting conversation, Uh, especially in my opinion, how the media we watch as kids impacts us as young adults. I think that's like a really interesting thing to look at. And then, of course, you made the bold claim that the How to Train Your Dragon trilogy is the best animated trilogy of all time. So we have to unpack that bold claim. I don't even know if I would say that, but it's definitely up there for sure. Um, Well, the only animated trilogy that I would be willing to say is even in the same league is Kung Fu Panda. And we have yet to see how that's going to end, given that they're now making a fourth film for that franchise, and we have yet to know how that lands. But it's also not very hard to be the best animated trilogy of all time when most trilogies flop on the third film and yet how to train your dragon was able to go out with an absolute banger that everyone adored yeah so there's a lot to unpack here and if you haven't seen the how to train your dragon trilogy you are going to be completely lost in this conversation because me and sam have recently watched the three films so we are fresh fresh on the movie's plot and characters and so we're just going to dive straight into it talk about it because again there's there's potential here for an interesting conversation uh so where where should we begin sam We should begin by saying, go watch these movies. Um, If you're still listening and you haven't seen these movies, I want you to pause the podcast and go watch them and then come back and listen afterwards because you will get a lot more out of this if you understand what's going on. And I promise it will be worth it. I agree. And it's worth mentioning that these three films, even though they're quote unquote kids films, I think they're part of example there are some examples of what kids movies should be and when they're in their best form which is when they aren't just kids movies when they're like full family film right they're good for the whole family but even us as young adults we were re-watching them and I was blown away because I hadn't seen them since I was a kid or younger and I was like wow this these movies have so much depth to them and deal with themes that so many young adults deal with and struggle with and can relate to. And so I think that is when a kid's movie is a quote-unquote kid's movie is at its best when it tackles that kind of stuff. And of course, when it has cute dragons and funny animated bits mixed in to make sure that the kids are having a good time too. Of course, we love Toothless. Toothless is amazing. All right, so I think we should start with why you picked this movie in particular because you have a personal 
connection to these movies that I think is, you know, warrant a little bit of an explanation because I kind of think it's weird and cool at the same time how much you and Hiccup are alike. <laughs> it's a little crazy. Um, so if you don't mind, if you are okay with sharing just a little bit of your personal connection to these movies. So brace yourselves. It's going to get a little bit personal, uh, a, little, a little bit unpleasant, perhaps uncomfortable. Um, much like Hiccup, I lost my mother when I was very young. I wasn't as young as Hiccup when he lost his mother. You know, he hardly ever knew her. I was eight years old, though, which is young enough to not really have many memories. And I was raised by a very stoic, very <laughs> gruff, burly, bearded single father with a lot of expectations. And I, being a scrawny, uncomfortable, socially awkward intellectual who liked building things related just a little bit <laughs> with Hiccup. You know, just a smidgen. Yeah. The the parallels between Sam and Hiccup are just a little terrifying, but it also makes it kind of fun or weird. I don't know. I don't know what the feeling would be to describe. When I watched it with you this recent time and seeing it again with the new perspective of I know you and now I'm watching Hiccup go through all these things. And I'm like, oh, this is uncanny. <laughs> this is uncanny, but also but also cool at the same time. Yeah, welcome to my world. <laughs> but the other good thing about Hiccup and the way that he is written, even though you obviously have so many similarities to him, Hiccup is written in such a way that a lot of people can identify and resonate with him and his struggle. Um, he's just that archetypal underdog character that also has his own uniqueness that makes him stand out and it's like oh that's hiccup i know who hiccup is so he's not like an archetype that's so blank slate generically written that you can insert like you know what i'm talking about like an insert protagonist where you can insert yourself into that protagonist yeah most generic self-insert characters aren't really characters. They don't have any standout features or quirks or character traits that really separate them from any other John Doe. And Hiccup is a character, so he's not a self-insert. And despite the fact that Hiccup and I have a lot of technical similarities, the themes and things that Hiccup struggles with are things that everyone struggles with. Now, of course, he had his own unique struggle he had his own unique conflict you know uh, a different way of handling it perceiving it a different environment but the themes are the same he wants to live up to the expectation he is of the people around him he wants to be like everyone around him he wants to fit in but he can't because he's clumsy he causes issues he gets in people's way because he's a little bit awkward he doesn't have any confidence and he doesn't accept himself for who he is because he's he's just different and he's at the start of the film unwilling to accept that and i'm sure many people who saw that movie that were hiccups age or even a little bit older or even people now you know even young adults or older adults can relate to not feeling comfortable with yourself not accepting yourself not being able to live with your your flaws and your strengths yeah and like you said like being similar ages to hiccup is a unique part of this film and like our own connection to it because we were almost growing up 
with Hiccup. And so that adds to like the relatability. Um, The first movie, How to Train Your Dragon, came out in 2010. So you were 10 years old. I was 11 years old. So only a little bit younger than Hiccup in the movie. He's like 13-ish or something like that. Um, And then the second movie, the sequel, came out in 2014. Again, you're 14. I'm 15. Almost similar ages to him because how old is he in that movie? Like 16? So in the first film, he's 13. In the second film, he's 18. There's a five-year gap between the first and second movie, which is filled in by some shows that were run on Cartoon Network and, I think, Netflix. Filler stuff, but also good How to Train Your Dragon content. But it wasn't really, like, marketed heavily, so only super hyper How to Train Your Dragon dorks have seen those shows. I am not one of them. I am simply an enjoyer of the movies but yeah so it's a bit of a jump from from like 13 to 18 you know five-year gap that's a lot but the the movies first and second were spaced four years apart because the second movie released in 2014 which is close right and though we weren't exactly hiccups age as those films like were depicting his age it was close enough that rewatching the film later, I still relate, you know, because like when it released, I was 10 and then, you know, I'd rewatch the movie because I really enjoyed the movie when I was little and it was a movie I liked rewatching. In fact, ironically enough, it was a movie my dad enjoyed watching. Anytime it was on, he'd put it on. I, I didn't even have to ask him. He didn't, I, I don't know why. I'm sure asking him about it would be a potentially brief, potentially long conversation. It's hard to know with him. He doesn't really open up about stuff but yeah he is very stoic um but i rewatched the first movie before i went and saw the second movie and being older i related more because i was more struggling with those issues i was starting to more come into being able to think for myself and as time went on you know watching the second film seeing him struggle with coming into responsibility and having to take on the mantle of, you know, growing up, being a man, losing freedom, accepting it boldly despite being uncomfortable with it. You know, I I watched that at at 18, four years later, and I resonated with it. And then seeing the third film when it came out and then seeing it later with him having to deal with letting go. And, you know... I've related to that for my entire life. So it's it has a lot of rewatchability for me and it had throughout my lifetime as it was coming out and as I was going back to it. Every time I did, I took more away from it that helped me understand myself because it's hard to know what you really look like until you look into a mirror. And so it's hard to really know yourself until you see a reflection of yourself in someone else. You know, it's why we're so much better at finding the flaws in others than we are in ourselves. Yeah, and you you said a lot there that we could easily spend a lot of time just digging into, like you said, rewatchability is 
a component that not every movie understands. Like, you know, they just want to get to the box office, just, you know, get that first run out there. But maybe not thinking about how that movie's going to stand the test of time. And How to Train Your Dragon is timeless, obviously, because it's set in like a fantastical Viking era. So there's no dated parts about it. But it's also timeless in how archetypically blah it's archetypal you know like you know it's got a hero's journey component to it that is timeless you know the stories that we go back to again and again and again seem to have like a similar pattern and it follows that pattern really well but has its own unique spin to it its own flavor to it that makes it what it is you know there's not nothing quite exactly like how to train your dragon in my opinion stylistically character wise story beats and that's because in every single one of those films there is a lesson that can be learned for every single age demographic because it's not just hiccup that develops through the first film it's stoic it's his father his father coming to terms with his son and accepting him for who he is and getting over his own stubbornness. You know, it's not just the disenfranchised teenagers that relate to that to the characters in that film. It's the parents that take them to see that movie or that see their kids watching that movie on the TV screen in the living room. And when you get to the second film and Hiccup finds his mother and his is trying to tell his dad about it and failing miserably because he's really bad at conversation and communication as is his father and his dad stumbles upon a wife that he thought was long dead right and her first reaction is she thinks that he's going to yell at her ask be angry ask her why he ask her why she didn't come back to him right and he just walks up to her slowly carefully with a gentleness very uncanny of a man of his stature and he says to her you are as beautiful as the day i lost you and as a kid that's pretty cute right but as an adult you know being in a relationship that I'm still learning to navigate, as we all do when we're in romantic relationships, I don't think I can point to a better example of how a husband should speak to their wife than that moment right there. With just all of the grace and gentleness, despite the gruff, stern brave exterior the softness that he's willing to show I as an adult took something away from that film even as Hiccup was having his coming of age struggle alongside it and that's what adds to the rewatchability to me is the fact that no matter how old I am I can go watch that film those films and appreciate the lessons from them through every age exactly and you hit one of the points i wanted to touch on which is re-watching it as a kid versus re-watching it now as we're young adults and i think when we have our own kids it's gonna hit so different like how at the end of the third movie we see hiccup and astrid and their two little kids right and they're all playing together and stuff and when you're a young adult or a teenager you're like oh that's so cute but 
whenever you and I have kids and we're watching them grow up and we share these movies with them, when we're parents and we watch that moment, I bet it's going to hit different, just like what you just described the moment when um, Stoic talks to his wife. Like that hits different as an adult as opposed to as a kid. It already hits different just thinking about it. (laughs) Yeah. And so this adds to that rewatchability, which, again, I don't think many movies consider, like how this movie is going to hold up through generations, through time, the wear on it, right? Because, I mean, if I'm being honest, Shrek is a little bit dated a little bit, you know, but I, I think Shrek will still be a classic. But, you know, it's very 2000s, if you know what I mean. Shrek will be a classic to our generation because we will understand all of the references. Therefore, it'll be a classic for us. But if we tried to show Shrek to our kids, they they just wouldn't get it. A, not a lot of the jokes would land the same. Yeah, that'll be interesting, won't it? As, as we get older and we get more removed from certain things that we grew up with that we think are awesome, and then we share them with our kids, and our kids will be like, why did you like this? Like, this is so weird. But I think How to Train Your Dragon is a very timeless, like, classic kind of heroic, adventurous thing that it's not going to suffer with that as time continues. So we've talked about the timeless kind of component of the movie and how it hits all generations. We've talked about how you and I have grown up with it and just like how we're kind of similar to the ages of the characters, which is such a cool aspect of a movie when it comes out in theaters and you're similar to the ages, you're growing up with the characters. I remember when you and I saw the third movie in 2019, it was the one that we got to see together in theaters and gosh, I remember just bawling my eyes out at the ending of that movie. And like you said earlier in our conversation, trilogies tend to suffer on the third movie. It's either the second or the third movie that movie trilogies struggle. And this movie did a pretty good job at bringing a final bow, a final conclusion to the saga. Well, it helps that the theme that the movie was touching on was a little bit of a fourth wall break. Like, let's be honest. Growing apart, being mature enough to accept that eventually everything, every, every chapter, every story has to come to an end at some point and, and a new one has to start. Or maybe a new one doesn't have to start. Maybe it's just the end of something. And that's the theme they chose to go for for the third film, which is the best way to close something out. What a lot of trilogies try to do is they try to introduce new blood in the third film and neglect the old guard of characters to try and make some new hero to try and keep the franchise going. How to Train Your Dragon, the movies don't do that. They make a point of putting a close to it. And the other reason that this is one of the best trilogies ever, best animated trilogy ever, a a lot of people nowadays get hung up on protagonists. They they label things Mary Sue's and self-inserts, and they have a lot of issues with the main character. And a lot of those feelings are valid, but it's important to know and to remember that a protagonist does not make a story. And a big reason why How to Train Your Dragon succeeds at every step 
is because not only does it have a relatable, quirky protagonist in the form of Hiccup, but the supporting cast is just as well done. And, you know, the second and third films, the group from Dragon Training School are a bit more comedic relief, which is more for the kids, and they could have done better with that, but I understand why they did it, because it is an animated film, which is predominantly watched by kids, but for the characters that they do spend time on that aren't there for the bit, it wouldn't be the same without them. They're they're a fundamental part of that story. Yeah, I agree with you. The, the, the ensemble of how to train your dragon is what makes it how to train your dragon just seeing the whole rough and tumble band of <laughs> craziness as they're riding on their dragons together and they're just a bunch of goofballs that are <laughs> somewhat incompetent <laughs> at times and struggling along the way to get the job done and you're just like how do they even function together but they somehow do and it's worth mentioning that hiccup would not be hiccup if it wasn't for astrid she's one of, if not the most important supporting character, because if there was no Astrid, Hiccup would have ran away in the first film, and that would have been the end of it. There would have been no conclusion to the hero's journey. He wouldn't have come around. Just thought I'd mention that. Yeah, I really like what they do with Astrid's character. And after we talk about Astrid, I would like to kind of dig in a little bit more to Hiccup, because I think he's such a great character. But one thing... <laughs> yeah, Astrid, one thing that I like about her is, especially right now with the state of Hollywood storytelling, is you have a strong female lead who's a boss girl. And you could have easily seen Astrid go down a path where she's the boss babe. She's, you know, super good at fighting. She's confident. She's the best of the best. And she's a girl. So girl power, you know, all of that stuff. And in the first movie, she does have that edginess to her. She is a little like, you know, but what I like that they did is that Astrid, even though she is very tough, very capable and, and strong in her own right, they do this thing with the, with her character where instead of falling into that temptation of her scolding and lecturing Hiccup and putting him down, like, you know, being like that bossy kind of girl babe kind of like thing. Instead, she takes this role in especially the second and third movies because they have a romantic relationship now where she becomes very supportive and she becomes very encouraging and she kind of softens a little bit. Like she still punches his arm and is still Astrid. And he kind of needs it a little bit, <laughs> which is why their dynamic is, you know, very cute and wholesome. But she also knows when, like, there are certain scenes where she approaches him and she knows how to say something to get him to kind of get that boost of confidence. Like, she knows how to build him up and not tear him down. Like, he's often been torn down. Which is so, so, so unbelievably important because... <sighs> Man, the third film, he is up on his perch by himself trying to get away from Gobber, and she goes to talk to him, and he starts talking about, you know, the hidden world, and while the two of them are there alone, she tells him, like, aren't you a little bit crazy? Like, this is, this is nuts. You're crazy. But when they get to the meeting hall, 
things have gotten a little bit more serious. And Hiccup is trying to tell the tribe that he wants to find the hidden world. And they all get in this uproar about how it's some sailor's tale. It's Astrid that interrupts the crowd and tells them to hear him out. Despite the fact that she doesn't entirely agree with his approach, despite the fact that she thinks he might be a little bit crazy, he's her partner. He's her fiancé. She supports him regardless of whether or not she thinks he's right, because that's what he needs more than she needs to be correct. It's one of the most selfless, healthy, functioning relationships I have ever seen depicted in any media, especially one catered towards kids that are that have a depth beyond just, oh, look how cute they are together. Exactly. It's deeper than, aren't they such a quirky, cute couple because she's so tough and, you know, knows how to wield an axe and he's more uh, more smart and clumsy. Oh, aren't they like such an an odd pairing? But they actually complement each other really well. And like I said, I love that the direction that they take with her character, making her just a little bit softer when she's in his presence, right? She takes on that kind of gentler like, hey, have you thought about this? Or she encourages him, right? And she's like, no, you got this. You can go do this. You're awesome. You're amazing. You're hiccup. I love the scenes where she boosts him up and reminds him the truths of of who he is. They've just got a really great dynamic. And Astrid as a character isn't just Astrid Hiccup's girlfriend or Hiccup's love interest. Astrid in her own right is a capable feminine heroic person and that's also why I love her character she's not just like the side chick right she's not just the the blonde pretty girl she's also a badass but she's a supportive badass like I don't know she's a great character she is not a damsel in distress in fact it could be argued that hiccups (laughs) more the damsel in distress in that relationship sometimes and it's a little bit funny yeah, so they do a very good job at walking the line, for, for me, in my opinion, with how they handle her character and their relationship. Like you said, a really great role model for kids as they, they watch like these, these characters and these role models. So that being said, I think this is a good segue for the main protagonist, the hero, Hiccup himself, because, you know, he's, I, I just love the way that they wrote his character and every time we watched one of the three movies like we watched the first second third after each one of them i'm pretty sure i turned to you and said i love what they did with him like i love what they did because you know in story writing in creating characters you know you're trying to create your conflict and your resolutions the drama everything you get a character you look at your protagonist and you figure out what your protagonist wants And then what your protagonist needs. And I remember having this conversation with you and thinking about this because at the beginning of the first movie, Hiccup wants to fit in. Hiccup wants to be a Viking. He wants to make his dad proud. But Hiccup doesn't know that what he needs is to accept himself, which is almost the opposite thing. And the move, yeah, sorry, you're going to talk. It's not almost the opposite. It is the stark opposite thing. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And so the movie is that, is Hiccup in conjunction with what he wants versus what he needs. And by the end of the movie, he has what he needs. He's accepting himself. So yeah, by the end of the movie, he's got what he needs and he's accepted himself more. And then as the movies continue, there's different wants 
and needs. And they don't they don't repeat the same thing in each movie. They don't like do the same like the, the previous movie twice. And and I remember telling you this that they build off of each movie and they raise the stakes each time and build upon the foundation of the movie previously. So in the second movie, right? They start off a world where Burke is not the same that it was in the previous movie. Now everyone loves dragons. Everyone's riding dragons. This is great. Okay, what would be what would be the conflict in a world where now you're friends with your dragons? Someone who takes your dragons away, right? If I'm remembering correctly, that's what some they're kidnapping the dragons, right? Yeah. So that's what's happening. So that is like the key conflict. But what's an additional conflict? What's going on in Hiccup? What does Hiccup want versus what Hiccup needs? And this is the part where I think it's important to mention that the way they wrote Hiccup, his internal conflict is a very natural progression. It's very relatable. Because when he's, in the first film, he's young, he's a teenager, and he's struggling with self-acceptance, something that I'm sure we all did when we were younger. And maybe some of us still do. And then... You know, the story cuts to five years later. He's 18 years old now. He's becoming an adult. And his dad wants to make him chief. And Hiccup doesn't want to be chief. He's scared that he won't be able to live up to the great man that his father is. He, he doesn't think he'll compare. So in a sense, he still suffers a little bit from himself because you know he understands who he is now but he doesn't think that's good enough because he's not like his father because he looks up to his father so much and so he wants to stay free he wants to go map the world he wants to ride his dragon he wants to have no responsibilities which again i'm sure we all relate to adulting is hard but over the course of that film He's forced into a situation where, no hiccup, you have to take this mantle up. It's not a choice. And he accepts it. You know, it's after great loss, but he makes the hard decision. He says, okay, I'll do it. And he overcomes the antagonist, saves the dragons. And then you go into the third film, and now he has to learn the hardest lesson of being an adult, which is letting go of the things that you love and you care about and that you're attached to, the things that are close to you. You know, I'm sure some of us have dealt with losing a very close pet that understand that lesson. It's it's not an easy pill to swallow. And that's why it's so such a poetic struggle to tackle for a third film for closing out a trilogy because you know, as much as we love the characters and the franchise and the stories that they tell within the setting and the world building, it's got to end at some point. You know, we have to let it go. We have to take the lessons we've learned and move on to later, greater things, just like Hiccup did. We, we all have to do the same thing. Part two will be out soon, so make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you get notifications. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave me a review. Thanks for listening. The Real Review Podcast, hosted by Zoe Moody, is a part of the Real FM Podcast Network. You can listen to more Real FM Podcasts or Real FM Radio on the Real FM app or at real.fm.